Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is Aaron Percival, aka Corporal Hicks, and joining me is usual partner in crime, Bridge Top or Adam Zeller in the real world. Hello everyone. And welcome to 2022. But before we go any further, we also have a brand new face, brand new voice, guest appearing on, on our little podcast is Mr. Christian Masker. Hello, Christian. Hey guys. Christian, if you listen to the other podcast, you'll recognize him from the Perfect Organism podcast. He joined those about half a year ago, I think. Yeah. But Christian and I have been speaking for a long time. There's a long time listener of our podcast, and I know he was into the books. So when I was after our third guest, I was like, I know fucking who to go to. <laughs> have you read the book, Christian? And he says, yes. So here he is on the show. So I always act like these th- people listening to these things not knowing what the fuck's going off. But obviously you all do because you see the titles of the episode, you see the cover art and stuff like that. So we are going to be talking about Pat Cadigan's, William Gibson's, Alien 3, the unproduced first draft screenplay. <laughs> so we do get we do get specific in that very long-ass title. So yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we get there though, so again, welcome to 2022. This is episode 138. I think 138 bang on without even checking beforehand and hopefully we're going to be off to a a nice strong year busy year so many books so many comics new productions ramping up hopefully we'll be seeing some content dropping from fire team so welcome to what should hopefully be a good year now that said before we start talking about this I want Christian to tell you guys and girls out there a little about himself because we always love to hear the the journey our guests whether they've played they've written the book or whether they're fellow nerds like us we just want to hear it so tell us about the first time you saw the franchise you know your experiences getting into the expanded universe and why you're that much of a nerd that you'll come on and talk (laughs) this book with us so christian please take it away Awesome. So Aliens was my first, for sure. I'm about to turn 45, so I was you know, too young to see it in the theater, but I definitely caught it in the, the television release. So the slight, almost special edition, minus the swear words. The CBS? I believe, it would, I believe it was CBS. You'd think it would be Fox, but maybe that wasn't even a thing at that time. I don't know. But my dad was the big influence. He was ex-military for one thing, and he liked the movie, but I think he also kind of had a crush on Sigourney Weaver. So that kind of helped it. So, you know, gets me to sit down and watch the movie. And I was thinking about it the other day because it wasn't from the beginning. So I was kind of coming in in the middle of it and trying to figure out what was going on. But it really, really hooked me. So then after that, I remember going back with my friends and watching Alien. And that became like a regular thing. We'd watch those two movies. And then when Dark Horse started putting out the comic books, I was a really big fan of that. And I, I really got heavily into the the expanded Adventures of Hicks and Newt. So Alien 3 is, it's a tough one, right? Because, you know, I'd really kind of gotten into that that trajectory for the storyline. So not, not so much into Wilkes and Billy. No, I just recently, there's a guy on YouTube who is reading the Perry books one chapter at a time. And hearing them now and kind of just trying to be accepting of that, it's actually pretty good. That's That's been fun. But no, no, they're Newton Hicks. And I still, <laughs> a little bit of my nerd brain holds on to that continuity. And so I love Alien 3 now, but it took a while. 
So I had a little show and tell because of that. Back in 1996, a friend of mine printed out the Gibson script, the same one that the book is based on. <laughs> yeah. And because it, you know, it's old school, I've got, it was uh, February 15th, 1996, and it was off the NYU computer lab, right? And typed with a bunch of typos. Hicks keeps turning into <laughs> Hick. And <laughs> I bet you remember when they used to sell the. Um, I say I say this like you're ton older than us. Uh, I bet you remember when they used to sell those scripts at conventions and stuff like that, photocopied. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Some interesting, interesting stuff in there. My big thing with the franchise, though, is I like the props and the costumes. I can tell from the shirt. Oh, you, you like this? You like this? I do. Is is that is that actual Safari Lodge or is that um, Polish? I, I can't. I can't. Oh no, this is the real deal. This is the real deal. Chef's creations. Ah, yeah. Yeah, Were yeah. you able to see the 40th anniversary exhibit? No. I think Jamie and, and Patrick did a video on that one, and I was yep. able to, to check it out myself. And as far as like props and costumes go, that was just such a cool little yeah. thing they did there. Did they have some of the Clona Marines camo I armor I don't there? think so. I don't think they had a lot of props from the second film. It was pretty pretty Ridley Scott heavy, as I understood. Yeah. But it would still be cool. I've made my peace with the prequels to some extent, and so now I'd be more interested in seeing that stuff. But at the time that that was happening... No, I'm not even with a 10-foot pole. So, <laughs> But Aaron, I think that you and I met over on uh, Aliens Legacy. Le- Legacy. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I stick my finger in a lot of pies. Mm-hmm. And I followed you back, you know? <laughs> I, try, I try to be in a lot of corners of the fandom yeah. because I, I would love to be talented enough to paint myself some armor or to, to create the costumes and stuff like that. Or have the money to buy the base stuff for them because <laughs> costuming's a very um, seems to be a very expensive and very talent talent required part of fandom. I'm always jealous of of seeing all these replica armors show up, and you, even you with the shirt there. I'm like, oh fuck's sake, because I, I, I struggle <laughs> to find anything over here. Because like all, all the replica guys seem to be US based. You know, chefs US based, Spats US based. No. Spat is US, Chef is is UK. He actually oh, works for Terry English. He's the middleman oh, now. You know, if you want, because Terry did the armor for the film. If you want a set, and that's out of my range. Yeah, Terry, Terry did, does it, doesn't he? Yeah. He, he still does. He still does. Shit. I bet, I bet that's probably more than I can fucking have. I'm going to go with your pulse rifle, man. Yeah, but my, my pulse rifle is a cheap snow wolf. Right. <laughs> well, it's not he so still cheap spiced now. it up a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I had that thing good. I, I threw it at a local techie. I went, got it, make it good. <laughs> had the shrouds painted by another airsoft guy as well it's good i like it i can't buy wall hangers i couldn't buy it to just leave it on the side i airsoft right. so if i buy it i'm gonna fucking use it while sure. i'm out there but like I'd, I'd love i meant to buy some of the polish stuff that's you know kind of like it's really close yeah yeah so i could wear that as well but I, every time i find some i don't buy it and then when i go back to it you know for airsoft you would want to go that route anyway because it's a lot more durable yeah yeah I, I've, I've heard i've heard it's <laughs> Are you in the room with all your stuff, or is it a completely separate no, room? Oh. No, sadly. Um, I, yeah. Sometime. I'll, I'll set something up and do a show and tell. We should do a whole podcast on that sometime of just a show and tell. Like, uh, Well, to, to be fair, I've wanted to do one with uh, costumes, cosplays, and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that in the past, because I used to speak to Rex and... Fuck, I forgot a fella's name. Alien Loves Predator, the duo that, that do that. Oh, I remember those comics. Yeah. No, no, it's it's the it's the two costumers. Oh, 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 right. Okay. It's Rex and somebody, and I can't remember. I can't remember a, a partner's name. The xenomorph with the red collar. No, pink collar. Pink collar. Pink, okay. Pink collar, because um, the red collar's um, Abe the Alien. Abe the Alien. Yeah. 
Oh, I can't believe I know I've met him so many times in real life as well. Mm. Oh, this is so bad. I can't I can't remember <laughs> it. I can't remember his real name. I know so many people by their aliases right, as opposed right. to But yeah, that's been something I've wanted to do for a long time. Yeah. And uh, I probably should look into that at some point. But it's one of those ones where I don't an aspect of the franchise that I'm not as knowledgeable of. So mm-hmm. it makes it hard for me to have my talking points in my interview stuff um, for those ones. But yeah, that's something I'm right. totally interested in. I love seeing other people talk about it and show off their collections and stuff like that. I've always loved your your costuming photos and posts and stuff. I'm like, damn. Have you guys been following um, Adam Alexander? He goes by Nostromo Crew and he's doing the Nostromo uniforms down to the stitch. Adam Savage just did a video. He, he got a set of the... I love Adam. I fucking love Adam Savage stuff as well. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of talent that I'm talking about, down to the fucking stitch. I wish I could ever be that talented <laughs> or dedicated to stuff like that, but Jesus. Look at that. We've veered off already. It doesn't take much <laughs> to get us going. But, you know, that's that's where I'm coming from. And then I just, I love the original three films the most. I'm finding things about the prequels that I like. I feel that. Yeah. I mean, we, we're coming, isn't it 10 years since we've had Prometheus? Prometheus, now? yeah. So I just have to say, okay, I guess that's going to stick around, you know? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see if Ridley Scott gets to do number three. Fingers crossed not. Um, <laughs> like, okay, there's a lot of fans that like the prequels, and I'm kind of curious just to see where it would go, you know? It's hilarious because of how much you hate the prequels but you want him to finish off his trilogy ended on such a cliffhanger. And I know he's going to make David the space jockey. So I just want him to do it. So, so everyone (laughs) can be disappointed in the prequels with me, but no, let me, let me enjoy covenant. Stop trying to drag me down. But there's things I, I like about them too. Uh, and aspects of them have grown on me through the years. You know, I've always been super impressed with their production design and their art design. And they're just very beautiful films, you know, really knows how to make those worlds. They just weren't the alien prequels I was after, but we, we've gone over well, this. Well, <laughs> to be fair, so much of what was in those prequels can trace its origin back to this. Yeah, yeah. more so in this draft than in the, um, in the next one. I would say that Resurrection pulled quite a bit too. Like between Resurrection and Covenant, you can kind of see like all the let's have scientists messing around. Yeah. You know. You see, I, I, I like to think of that being more Dark Horse. I think Resurrection's more Dark Horse. Oh, yeah. Because, hmm. what was it, about five years, six years between the two? And, you know, Dark Horse exploded. That was, you know, that was the first Golden Age. And they exploded, you know, with Rogue and Labyrinth and making, you know, the mad scientist thing a thing. Right. Resurrection's so comic booky anyway. So I, I, I totally think Whedon was was nerd enough to have read those stuff and to have pulled stuff from those. Okay, let's start with a natural way to talk about this. And that is opinions on the script. So before going into this book, before going into Pat Cadigan's novelization of it, had we read the script on its own, pure, and what did we think of it? Adam, lead us off. I know you. I know you fucking read it. We did an episode on it. Yes, I have read the script. That was a little while ago. The book is better than the script, in my opinion. But a lot of the problems I had with the script, I still have with the book. I just feel like the writer did such a good job with other areas in the book that I could enjoy this more. Those problems notwithstanding, as far as the script goes, I didn't like it, and I thought the the next draft was better. So, like you, Aaron, I was honestly kind of surprised that they decided to go with the first draft for this book. But I do think that we've had a few media adaptations of of Gibson's version of Alien 3 now. So I feel like this was the right choice. 
Are you ready for Vincent Ward's? I'm ready for Vincent Ward. I, I do feel like they have done Gibson enough. Like it, we've gotten mm-hmm. an audio drama now. We've gotten comic book mm-hmm. that one, and now we've we've had this book. And all three of them, I think, have been pretty strong. But I feel like there's other stories that never got off the ground in the Alien universe. You know, Blomkamp's Alien 5, most probably. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the first one, one that I came out your fucking But lives. also Vincent Ward's Alien 3. I don't know. Are there any others in Alien Week? Well, you don't want Eric Red's? <laughs> oh, right. I forget how many scripts there were for Alien 3. Yeah. We had the two from Red. We had not two from Red. We had the two from Gibson. We had one from Red. There's only one out there from Toei, but there is potentially another two that he did. And then we have Wards. And there's only one out there, but I think there was two. And then it pretty much gets into what became Alien 3. I think Wards would be the most alluring choice, I think, because that was such an interesting idea. It'd be the most logical one for them to go to next because it's so renowned, even if it isn't the next one. But, you know, circle back to your original question. No, I did not like Gibson's first draft of the screenplay. Honestly, I wasn't even a big fan of the the subsequent draft. But I do feel like all these media projects have been really cool for the franchise in seeing the story that never happened. And this is something I want to see more of. And I feel like this book was very strong in that aspect and very engaging, very well written. Okay, Christian. (laughs) I like the first draft because I grew up with it, so to speak. Like It was something I could go back to. And it was sort of that middle ground between what Dark Horse did that I loved and what Fincher did that I did not love. I respected it, but I didn't love it. You know what I mean? So Mm. here we had a a logical way to move Newt off, you know, out of the story and keep Hicks and Bishop going. And as I understand it, part of it was Sigourney Weaver wasn't sure if she was coming back for Alien 3. So again, it kind of made sense to pivot them like that. So it isn't a great script though. And the second draft is an improvement, but, but isn't a perfect thing. There should have been a third draft. And so... First of all, the title of this book, Lawyers Had to Have Been Involved with, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like how you get Gibson's name on a a book that he didn't write. I don't know. So it had been a while since I'd read the script and I I read the book, read Cadigan's book, and then I listened to the audio, unabridged audio of it. And then I had to go back to the script because there were so many things I was finding that I really did not like in the book. And I had to double check and sure enough, they were right there on the page. Like she was really stuck to a series of events that are not cinematic, that are plotting you know, through the, the the final third of the book, it's just this slog of moving characters we don't care about through spaces that we don't understand to get them whittled down to what you know is going to be this this final number. And I would say up to when Hicks puts Ripley on the, the shuttle and sends her off, I'm pretty much on board and there's a good amount of world building. I don't agree with all of it, but I like how she handled certain things. It's the, the rest of the book that I start having a problem. But again, it was Gibson. She, she couldn't change a lot of things, apparently, because then you can't have the fine print that has his name on yeah. it. So. There were some additional, like Hicks having all the memories of... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, not yet, not yet. All right, we'll get into that. Okay. But that right. was her addition. That was not mm. in the script. Yeah. So I think that was a good addition. Before we talk more about the book, <laughs> so the second draft next to the finished film is my favorite could have been that we've got. The first draft is probably my least favorite. The big gap, big gap, because I, I I always hated Gibson's first draft. I did. It, it was too out there. There was too much going off. The, the zombie aspect angle of it is, is just massive. But then when we get to the second draft, we have this nice, really pared down, really well contained, really cut down version of 
that initial vision. And yes, it could have used the third draft. It was still only a second draft. And that's the risk we do in these kind of projects is you are adapting unfinished, unpolished things. And um, there does need, I say there does need to be, like I'm some sort of fucking definitive voice on the thing. But I personally try to maintain a separation between source material and adaptation Mm. because I know she will have had her hands tied. I know she's not responsible for plot elements of stuff that I don't like in the book. But going into it, I was so fucking curious to how I would react to this book because I knew how much I hated that first draft. It's funny. But when all this this all this kind of project is something I've wanted since I knew the Star Wars was a thing. You know, when Dark Horse adapted Lucas's original original screenplay into a, a five, six issue run whatever, I was like, why the fuck are we not doing this with Alien? Because Alien Three in particular is a gold mine for this kind of project and it was one of the things i suggested to the folk at fox when when we had this much more open back and forth between the community and the the story group for lack of a better terminology and you know it was one of the things i suggested and then one of them got in touch with me to get copies of the scripts and was asking my opinions (laughs) on them and i was like if you want something that is batshit insane completely (laughs) different proper out there and is going to be here's your insanity then the first script's the one to go to if you want something that's more in line with what a finished film should have been like and probably would have looked like his go for you go for the second and so it made me really happy when you know we had the audio drama and the comic based off of off of the second draft yeah there's this still some rough edges to it but it's like i said you know it, it was a second draft and it would have got a third draft had this thing gone on to gone on to film so when this came out of nowhere, I had no inkling at all that this novel was coming. And it was based on the first one. I was like, well, this is going to be interesting for me. So, short opinions. I really enjoyed this book. I really did. And I say that as somebody who hates a lot of the, the plot points and elements in it, but trying to divorce my opinion of the source material with the effort that's gone into the adaptation, I really like what Cadigan did with this. The sardonic tone to this book just made it for me. And I know you're going to disagree there, Christian. <laughs> but the fact that she gets away with referring to Ripley as a crazy cat lady in the first <laughs> chapter, and I didn't want to lob this book at the wall, mm. sort of shows how on board Cadogan brought me on with her style. I was like, okay, yep, I see the way we're going with this book. I approve. Let's do it. And that tone throughout, I think, made this stand out a little more, made it a bit more palatable for me, knowing how much I dislike some of the, the source material aspect of it. And, you know, Adam mentioned earlier as well, the stuff with Hicks. I'm a big fan of giving characters PTSD. So to see how um, she explored him in this, again, we'll get into more detail, but in here, that tone and that element. And while she didn't fix, she didn't change the broad strokes of the narrative, you know, there were little things in here that any good adapter should do. You know, you read Alan Dean Foster doing a novel, you know he's going to try and fix some little bits. We all knew that going into Covenant, and that's what I expect in, I was kind of expecting or hoping of Cadogan in here. So there are some aspects of that little bits of where on the broad strokes it's... uh, it's because it's alien. Yeah, okay. You you, you want to verbalise that? Yep, I'm, I'm on board. Thank you. It did it somehow because it's an alien. And we don't understand it. 
Yeah, if you want to tell me that, I, I will. I will roll with that. Just don't don't give me an egg out of nowhere that <laughs> we don't know what it is. Um, maybe if you'd have given me Bishop too, um, have a little theory. I'd have been better with it. But no. So there's little there's little aspects of that in here that I enjoyed and made and made it work for me. So for me, I think it was an eight out of ten. I think I think eight out of ten was what I gave it on on my written review, and that's. I think that speaks well to her ability to make me enjoy something that I don't I don't like a lot of or I don't like the source of. So, yeah, I, I can't argue with that. Christian, what about yourself? Small review first. All right, small review. I would like to read an alien novel written by Pat Cadigan that is not scripted by anybody else. I feel like there was good voice to some of the characters. I was actually really excited with what she did with Bishop. Hicks doesn't sound like Hicks, even in the lines that were written by Gibson. Something wasn't quite right, and th- there's a larger problem with that that we'll get to later. But I think that every line, like the the, the crazy cat lady that you liked, was a was another demerit for me. Uh, <laughs> especially towards the end, when when people are you know being picked off by the aliens, and then every single time someone has some sort of a quip or a, a joke about what's going on, you know, Rossetti knocks a chestburster out the door with a helmet, and someone says something like, "He shoots, he scores." It's like, what are you doing? You know, we're down to the last few characters. Jackson dies and somebody makes a joke about it. You know, the tone did not match the material, but the material itself is is insane. It's just a very, very strange series of events. I just feel like she was looking to put more humor in. Okay, one one more quick gripe before I give it a, a grade here. This is where the UPP comes from. This is This is the source of the Union of Progressive Peoples. And it's so... It's only hinted at in the script. It's just a you know simple line. This is this is what the place is, the location is, whatever. And so, as an author, you have a choice to expand on this and make it something really interesting, or you have the choice to not even really touch it. She makes it as small as possible. This is Redina Station is literally the capital of this entire organization, and everyone looks down on them. Like throughout the book, their their threat level is really downplayed. They're more of a like. How many times do we hear mention of the strategic Ar- disarmament treaty or something? It's just it has almost like a Deep Space Nine quality or Babylon Five quality. Of, I don't know. That's that's not what I was looking for. I'm going to give it a five out of ten. Then I'll shut up. <laughs> okay, so because we we always get into this argument on the other reviews. So five is purely okay. Yeah. It's well-written is the problem. I would recommend it over other books that were released last year by Titan in the Alien line. Not all of them. You no, only one, get one, one of them. You get one of them. Were there only three books last year? There's Infiltrator. There was Into Cryptus. Cryptus, yeah. that was. I think Cryptus was Feb. I think Infiltrator was April, and then this was August. Strange way to release those. I would have spaced it out slightly more. Anyway, yeah. So purely okay. So how how much of that is your dislike of the narrative compared to the right? A huge amount. I mean, I, I, I don't like the jokiness or the, the reverence, but so much of it is this is what Gibson says happens. And so she wrote it out. She described it well, but no, bring her back and give her just the ability to write a book. That's what I'd say. Adam, what do you think? <laughs> so... I think I'm kind of somewhere in the middle between you two because I really love her writing style. I thought it was funny, not just in some of the characters' quips, which, yes, did go a bit overboard, especially more towards the end, but just in the commentary she made about things. I thought the characters were interesting, like Tully and Spence, and that whole setup I thought was an interesting dynamic. So the book was really well written. I mean, there were a couple of technical lore mistakes that I'm sure you guys probably noticed. It clearly didn't go through a consultant, I think, this one. Nothing that was overly uh, blatant or detriment to the story. 
But I honestly thought Hicks seemed kind of like his his movie character, or at least an evolution of, of his movie character. And I did feel like the whole ghost of his former squad angle was a really nice addition that she handled quite well. I'm kind of with you, Christian, in the sense that after Ripley is jettisoned in the escape pod, there's just a lot of it gets kind of tedious, I think. There's just crazy alien stuff happening left and right. They have like three or more reproduction cycles now that it's just, it's hard to kind of keep up with. And I would have, I imagine if it would have made its way on screen like that, which it wouldn't have, but if it did, it would have been kind of confusing at that point. So I I feel like the story kind of falls apart for me. This was, again, the same problem I had with the screenplay after the first half. The second half just feels like a lot of tedium. Everything's falling apart. All these things are happening. We have to blow this up and get out of here. And I feel like that can be done well, but it wasn't in this instance. But the writer did such a good job here in terms of just the writing style was very engaging, very humorous. I thought, again, that did go a bit overboard at times. And the dialogue, I thought, was really well done, too. I agree with you as well, Christian, on the UPP, because it did come from this story. But at the same time, and I never would have expected this to happen, honestly, kind of started with the RPG, but it's been expanding into the expanded universe a bit more as of late. And yeah, it feels weird that this sizable force with all this space territory power would their their base is this station. It's like, what about their colonized worlds and all that? Like everything is just this is their headquarters, this this one station. I felt it was a little inconsistent in this. And it was something that I I was like, okay. Because it did at times seem to imply that that was pretty much the UPP. Yeah. Rodina. They didn't talk about any other worlds or things like that. I don't know whether that just didn't shine through to the script, uh, from the script, because I, I went and reread it as well before I sat down to reread the novel. And I think my takeaway from the script was that both were the shining jewel of their respective empires close mm. to each other. And, you know, because the commies, it's not quite as good as the capitalists. So we'll, we'll I say that sardonically, everybody. I don't, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's that's another thing too. In is the tone like of the script. This was written before the fall of the Soviet Union, right? So the yeah. UPP felt very stereotype based on that. And as that's kind of returning to fandom, I'm like that it needs to be a bit more. That idea wants. of them feels so dated. It's like I, I think they could take that concept and do something more interesting with it. And I feel like the RPG did that a good bit, especially in their most recent expansion. But I mean, again, this was in the script. The writer had to go with this. So this is where I think this is a difficult question and an ask of people is how much do you expect people to be aware that a lot of this is already laid down? Most of this is laid down. And how much of that do you try and put out your mind as a criticism? Hmm. Yeah. Because, like, at the end of the day, you know, Christian mentioned earlier, very jokingly, because it's so bad, you know, doing Eric Red. As a fan who fucking thinks that script ridiculous as well, because it fucking is, Mm -hmm. I would still like, knowing it is awful, (laughs) to see that visualized or realized in some other way and to try and enjoy it based on what that person does with it as opposed to its insane origins. So I I struggle a little bit with that question. You know, I I went into this book knowing full well I hated the first draft, and you guys did as well. So I I think that's a difficult thing when it comes to these adaptations. 
Yeah, because they can't really deviate too much from it. Like they can do little additions like they did with Hicks and, and the memories of, of his squad. The Ripley angle was interesting. And I do like how they, they had Newt, you know, go on the ship to stay with her grandparents. But also there was a question of the ship was carrying this the samples pathogen now. Yeah, yeah, like this was the black goo before the black goo here in this story. Like, so, and that's one thing I don't like that concept and I never will. I don't like the aliens being turned into a virus. I like that concept for other things. Like I'm a big fan of the Resident Evil franchise. Like I'm all about the virus monsters and stuff. I just don't feel like it's ever worked well for aliens. So to see them literally turned into a breathable pathogen Mm -hmm. is not something I personally like. However, I can't deny that it is badass and awesome seeing these, I like to call them werewolf aliens, where (laughs) instead of a chestburster, it's just emerges from a person. And it's like American werewolf in London. They just tear their skin off and there's an alien or even the howling or you know the actually ripping through yeah yeah a lot of good practical effects werewolf movies from back in the day yeah just that visual and they did the visual really well in the comic adaptation too yeah. of that corporate that what do they call her the corporate barbie the alien barbie weaponized <laughs> weaponized barbie well, weaponized barbie that was right and that's i believe that's a line right out of gibson's script along with tully charles a and pat cadigan for some reason gives that same those same two descriptions to multiple characters, like everyone calls him Tully Charles A, and everyone calls her the weaponized Barbie in their thought process. And yeah. I thought that was kind of strange. If one person had thought now it. Now that you mention it, yeah, that is it, a little It keeps strange. popping up. I, I do think that it was at least mentioned that Rosette had called her that, and then yeah. it kind of snowballs on right. kind of thing. I do have to wonder so if some of that is is also, you know, history, the Tully Charles A thing. Mm. But even Hicks does it, so it's kind of weird. That's how he introduces himself to him in the bar, if I remember rightly, though. Maybe so. Maybe that's... Yeah, so maybe that's his nickname on the station. I don't know. Recurring thing. What score, Adam? Okay, score, probably a seven. Probably a seven. I thought it was good. And what brings it down so much for me, just like you said, Christian, are the things I don't like about that screenplay. And there's just no avoiding it. Yeah. But as as just, uh, hey, this is something that didn't get made. It's a really interesting read. And so I kind of have to divorce myself from feeling that way because I'm like, well, this isn't this isn't the movie. So it's it's cool. You don't need to worry about it. Like this is the type of thing you can do to explore the aliens in this crazy different way. So, yeah, it, it was good for me. I think it was it was a solid seven. Did you guys notice she snuck a little Easter egg in for William Gibson fans? So in the script, the shuttle that Fox and Wells come in on isn't ever named. And in, uh-huh, that's in the book. That's, that's her addition to the book. Yeah. And at one point they say, well, the Mona Lisa is in overdrive. So blah, blah, blah. The Mona Lisa overdrive was the third of the sprawl novels by uh, William Gibson. Okay. Mm. But it creates a problem in the narrative because... The Sulaco's fun. The, the Sulaco's still there. They should all yeah. go get on the yeah. Sulaco. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah, because I, I posted it on I the board. Did not and I was like, noticed that, and yeah, that is a good point. That is yep. like the, the ship is still functional. I mean, the navigation system's a little glitchy, but everyone could have evacuated on that. For everyone, sure. yep. I think that was the biggest problem with the book. Oh, <laughs> because it's like, yeah, okay, that's cool. And and the Mona Lisa to me as well gives um, gives me Halo vibes because there was a short story that was then turned into a motion comic, which was called the Mona Lisa for Halo, and it was all around the flood, mm. which is 
Halo and shares a lot of um, Aliens DNA. It was very obviously influenced by Alien and the Flood. It shares a lot of similarities with what they do with this in here. So I'm sure that was very much unintentional. But I, I was kind of yeah. like, okay, yeah, I like that. I like that name, even if it even if it's not purposefully connected to uh, my other favorite thing. She also had multiple people say "hasta la pasta," and I don't know where I've never heard that expression. Of hasta la vista, it was hasta la pasta. I'm yeah. sure that was used once in the script as well because I oh, yeah. raised my eyebrow at it. Yeah, but it's twice in the book, and that's where I think that she she took certain little nuggets, like the um, "you look like homemade shit" is in the is in the script, and she put it in the novel, and that made me happy because that that sounds like Gibson. He says weird things like that. "You look like, look like shit warmed over" was in another of his books. So, <laughs> you know, it's some it's good stuff. Let's talk the tone then. Let's let's follow on from that and talk the tone in more detail. You didn't like it. Okay, again, I like her writing, the, the, but the script you can't get away from the fact. First of all, four years go by. That doesn't make any sense. Four years before the ship goes off. Was it off eight course. weeks? Eighteen weeks? Something like that. Supposed Seventeen to be. days. It's you know, like we don't know. It just but, but four years is a weird, a weird thing to throw in there. And then when you get to this facility that has military personnel, why is Hicks suddenly a maintenance guy? And she covers it better in the book by saying, I think that he's doing almost like a work leave while he recovers. But then his yeah, injuries are never they're never talked about again. I think he was supposed to be mental more than anything, wasn't it? Maybe, but okay. In my preferred versions of things. Things, Hicks is is scarred, right? He's scarred in the comics. He would have been yeah. scarred in the Blomkamp film. In the comics, it was more severe, yeah. And really, Blomkamp yeah. Concept art, yeah. And so in this, they heal him right up, and then that's it. So it's a, you know that's but this is a book, so it's fine. But the idea of someone being active duty military and having had experience with the Marines and then getting sidelined like that, experience with aliens, you know, I just feel like he should have been more in, included in the plot. And so certain things happen, and then Hicks kind of finds out about it. And there's a lot of he's being told things that we've already seen happen. And so he's always behind the the curve on that on that knowledge. And it, it bugs me in the second uh, the second draft equally of just you're taking this character and you're not la- allowing him to kind of be the progression of of what we had seen in the, in the film. And similarly, once once the the alien is a threat on the station and they bring some marines out, it seems like it's the greenest marines and they all get killed even though earlier we're told these are the biggest marines, the biggest marines I've ever seen says Tully and those guys are gone. I mean, some of them die, literally, but I don't know. It's it, uh, the the scene where they where they attack the queen with a rocket launcher, but the rocket launcher isn't even put together, and all the marines get killed. <laughs> yeah. It's like the worst you know, fan fiction version of uh, of the first assault in Aliens. It's not even a rocket launcher, which is what I think is. It's a mortar. Who the fuck (laughs) uses a mortar in a fucking... Why is that standard equipment on a fucking space station? I don't know. I'm I'm glad that was removed for the second draft. Yeah. I have to say, though, one of my favorite aspects about Gibson's Alien 3 is the space station, is Anchor Point. Hmm. Just how massive it is and the way it describes it. Because at this point, we had seen a little bit of gateway in Aliens, but the way it describes the station, it's massive. Just like open areas that are the size of multiple football fields and a mezzanine with a mall and a fountain. And they have these different like eco spaces where it's like a park and they have these natural habitats that the scientists have helped put together. They have these observation decks. So we did see that a bit more in Alien Isolation with the... um, Sevastopol. Sevastopol, I can't believe I forgot that. (laughs) Yeah, to see a space station like this in the alien universe, this massive, described in this way, where there's just, it's like a little city, right? Like they have bars, they have a mall, so... Every level has a mall and a bar and a, and he he talks about the equatorial line at one point. Like it's, it's like Death Star big. Yeah. 
it's, kind of crazy. it's massive. And so for them to go through all these environments in the station, like hydroponics and everything, and they had like lemurs in the parks and like, this would have been an expensive movie to make with mm-hmm. this kind of space station production design, which is probably why it didn't end up happening. Uh, the first draft is very blue sky first draft. It really is. You know, it's a giant space station, lots of people on it, fuck ton of Marines. Um, we've got, this is one of those struggling to divorce original things. <laughs> but, you know, like the the script goes from one place to another to another to do repeat things. We go to multiple airlocks, the same thing happens, all that kind of bullshit. But then with the second draft, it's so brought in. You know, it's not this giant fucking cast of things anymore. It's the core cast of the book towards the end basically and the station isn't this shining massive jewel of everything it's a smaller currently in construction that stopped being constructed because you know Wayland yutan is a cheapskate so we can't afford to keep going kind of thing and i so much prefer that Hmm. and (laughs) we were saying about um the sulaco being the big issue my other big issue with this book with the script with this story is is rosetti Mm. and it feels to me that at the halfway point gibson didn't know what to do with him i hate his about turn in portrayal because i feel he's a lot more competent earlier on in in the story he just kind of starts losing it and popping pills for the rest and it doesn't it doesn't feel like a gorman turn it just felt so fucking random in the book but then when it comes to like the second draft do you know what they do they kill him off halfway yeah, yeah, Wells he, gets him. Wells gets him, and, and he's done with, and that's it. You don't have to worry about what to do with the character. So as, as a pure entertainment value, that Rossetti was the thing I, I really disliked the most in terms of characters. That's even with Cadigan trying to, you know, do do her bits with it and um, make him more understandable, and, and Hicks even about turning a little bit on him in the end. But no, Rossetti really doesn't work for me in the book, and, and what she does to him doesn't quite fix the issues I had with him. I can't remember how Fox ends up in the book. Does he disappear? He gets killed by Wells, right? Right in the, the right. Privacy yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yep. Because he's yep. he's all That's trying right. to like appeal to her, like, "Oh, you're still there, aren't you?" And then because she... that gets switched. That's Rossetti's death in the second script. Oh. Yeah, the tongue through the eye. Yeah, because in in the second script, it, they find him on his shuttle, all cocooned up. Yep. So in the in the novel Rossetti's end, it just feels like whenever Gibson didn't know what to do with the character, suddenly they have they go through the capital C change, and you know it's 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 perfectly timed. Like okay, we're done with that. He's you know he's already done this this and this. So just mm. have him turn into an alien, or have three chestbursters pop out of one person. I'm like okay, what? <laughs> yeah, I think in the again, I hate I hate. <laughs> That aspect of the source material, how fucking wild everything is, and which is why I do like her tone in the book, because the script is insane and crazy, and it doesn't make sense, and it's all wild. So her taking this sarcastic sort of wild tone to it as well, where everything's a little bit of a joke, I was like, yeah, okay, this this works for it me. It fits with that, yeah. But you, Adam, you know, you mentioned the whole them taking on multiple life cycles and, and, and changing and evolving as they go. I don't remember that being prominent in the script. So her at least trying to explain why all this crazy batshit interpretations of the alien is happening, I appreciated. 
it just kind of happened out of nowhere in the script. And I feel like, again, there was only so much she could do with this. So the explanations didn't honestly go too far. It's like, so we have these competing experiments on the UPP station and Anchor Point, and they produce different variants where you still have the face hugger, but it's accelerated on the Rodina. But you have these new like werewolf aliens in Anchor Point. But eventually that changes and you also have the chest bursters that just emerge out of people, like loads of chest bursters at once. And I think there's also, are there face huggers at all on Anchor Point or no? Doesn't, doesn't Bishop see some? I don't remember them. No, I'm confusing it. It's look high yeah, on Rodina. And, yeah. and Rodina. So you have the face huggers on Rodina, but you also have the werewolf aliens on Rodina because there's there's a moment where Lakai, I think, sees sees someone starting to turn. I think I have it highlighted here. Hmm. Yeah. Hadn't seen another living human for hours, or it had been years since the encounter. The woman had been convulsing on the floor, writhing as blood poured from her eyes and mouth. Then the skin on her hands had split, That's open right. with a ripping sound. When the talons emerged, the woman had begged Lakai to kill her so you also have these transforming aliens on the rodina and i'm just like so is the alien just something that if you genetically tamper with it just a teeny tiny bit it just sprawls out and does all these crazy things in terms of its reproduction cycle and has multiple life cycles now and so it just seemed a bit too like wild you know like anything can just happen because you tampered with it Hmm. and i'm like well if it's that deadly lethal it kind of makes the aliens in the first two films seem a lot less lethal if you can literally breathe this in and have chestbursters erupt out of you then i i feel like it kind of cheapens a little bit the threat of the alien in the first two films by having it able to just do anything and everything that's one of those things where i'm glad it didn't go this way i do like elements of the neomorph and i and the way that Covenant would adapt certain bits of this. But it's one of the things where I'm I'm kind of like going forwards, how do they make that distinction a bit more? You know, because by all accounts, the Neomorph is a lot more effective and what's the word I'm looking for? Efficient in what it's doing than the alien is. So there's a distinction that needs to be made there with the... um with the Neomoths and, and the aliens, if Scott does get to do another thing. And I totally see where you're coming from in, in this, because it's just like, yeah, they were good, but these guys can do a fuck ton more. Yeah. It's like that one upsmanship with a sequel. You know, now this is the bigger version. This is the, yeah. you know. Yeah. And and if you, once you introduce this kind of an idea, you can't close the door on it again. Like if this had been what the third what film had been, then what's the fourth one going to do? So, yeah. mm-hmm. <sighs> well, go to the alien homeworld. Yes, yes. I mean, th- th- that's the other thing. This sets up. You have to have a sequel. You know, Bishop lays it out on the line. It's it's us or them. So, but they, I mean, they do certain things in this script that I did always kind of like, and you know, it it shouts back to that ancient Lovecraftian element of it that I like. Of yeah. perhaps we're seeing the end result of another race's um, weapons race, you know, kind of thing, and. I actually, as much as I don't want it to go as far as Gibson did in this first draft, you know, I like the idea of the, the somebody mentions a line about the ease of which the DNA allows itself to be manipulated and stuff like that. And I do like that because I like the idea of these other variants that aren't perhaps the true or the original or, you know, the, the pure line of the aliens where they can do crazy things. Again, I wouldn't want them to go as far as they do here. I don't mm. want them to be shot like Jean-Pierre Genet does Resurrection, but I like the flexibility in what that kind of implies. And and it is an angle I would have liked to have 
I would have enjoyed seeing used. Yeah, I've mm. never personally minded the idea of the xenomorphs as like this ancient engineered race as, as a weapon or for another purpose or whatever. But I agree with you, Aaron, and just that this took, I guess, the versatility of what it can do with its reproductive cycles a bit too far in just being too out there, too wild. It's that blue sky. It's that blue sky first draft. Yeah. There was another thing I noticed that, that I just pulled up here and I highlighted it. It mentions Ripley's grandchildren. Yeah. 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 So that, that was one of those ones where I was like, yeah, this didn't go through a consultant. <laughs> no, no, you're forgetting. Of course, that's the grandchildren that lead to the descendant from Sea of Sorrows that we all know about. Right. I just <laughs> wish I, I, I like James. I like Jim Moore. I really like, I actually quite like Sea of Sorrows, but he said out of the book that it was, this guy was related to Decker. Decker was related to just normal Ripley. And I'm like, why the fuck is he not a relation to Ripley 8? All your problems oh, solved yep. right there. Except that that implies, you know, Ripley 8 and someone procreating, which I can't really... Well, it would it would make more sense in that he has psychic abilities because the genetic memory or something... No, he's, a, he's an empath. Life. He's not a psychic. No. He's an empath. <laughs> I haven't read that book for a while. The audible audio drama of it, I think, is a better version. They're bringing someone to be the corporate boss, and they, they really beefed up her role. I can't think of who the actor was. She was really good. Anyway, um, I, I'm a fan, though. I struggle with that drama. Really? The cast's too big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm an ignorant British, and I can't always tell everybody apart. Did, did you like Out of the Shadows, though? I loved Out of the Shadows, and I, I loved Out of the Shadows as well. River of Pain, and I love Gibson's adaptation. I enjoy um, Sea of Sorrows. I just struggle to follow it as much purely because of the the cast. Yeah, the hardest part of Out of the Shadows for me is just the retcon angle. Like even something oh, yeah. like, well, this can't make sense because they find the grappling hook in the door in Aliens, so this just can't make sense. Plus, there's two cryotubes visible in Alien, and and in his version, oh, there's just the one cryotube. Yeah. Really? Because I'm looking at him. Yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't think what? of that either. He totally who totally could have escaped with her. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. they need somebody like one of us. Just I mean, I'm I'm not gonna rewrite your book. I'm just gonna point out They did eventually. What do you mean? They they got they got a consultant. Oh. Yeah, so I, Well, <laughs> it wasn't then. Those three books, nobody was sort of helping them, and then surely you know him, Scott Middlesbrook. Oh, I, I on online. Yeah, he's on he's on Facebook. Um, hmm. the groups i'm sure sm on the boards he he was a consultant for pretty much most of the gold the second golden age after those three books and, and, and it might not have done the rage war but yeah there was a good chunk of time that he he was it was going through him to say this doesn't make sense this is yeah that kind of thing I remember that period though where prometheus had come out and that was kind of hard and then those first three titan books each one of them had some aspect that just wasn't right you know, the sho shoehorning Ripley into the first one, putting Marines in the second one, you know. And I just I just felt like between that and, and then Dark Horse, we're bringing back the comics, but we're going to shove everything together. You can't have aliens without Prometheus now, you know. Oh, you mean the Fire and Stone Life and Death. Yes, and yes. Yeah. Ah. I did really like those, but it, it just felt like we're putting everything into Prometheus now. So it was like, yeah. I appreciate them because a lot of them had a really good artwork too. And we had mm. never seen a crossover event that was just that massive. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm glad they didn't. Well, I don't know, because I want to see where the story goes after life and death. As well. They, <laughs> they left that on a cliffhanger. So I, I don't because I don't want it to have been time travel. Oh, you it's, know, it, it hints been. strongly, right? Yeah, it very strongly. I don't want it. I don't, I don't want it because then it, it gives the things that might seem weird in newer things that have 
a precedence in the past mean I'm able to accept the new stuff easier. Decker being an empath in um, Sea of Sorrows and having this connection with the aliens, I can accept it because of the Queen's telepathy in the original uh, comic. Right, sure, sure. And them introducing time travel would then mean that I can accept it easier when David goes back in time and crash lands <laughs> on LV-426. And I just do not want it. I do not want it at all. Do not give me this precedence, please. Hint at it all you want, but do not make it definitive. Otherwise, I will be able to accept it easier. And I don't want that. Did you pick up on the moment where they mentioned like the ancient alien astronaut theory or whatever, when they're looking for human DNA? because apparently they always look for Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Fox is like, we're all familiar with the theory. What DNA were you looking for? Human, of course. Hmm. Like, the theory that terrestrial life has extraterrestrial origin may be out of fashion these days, but it still hasn't been disproven. Transpermia? Something like that? I can't remember. But that I wondered if that was in the original script or if the author was trying to tie it to Prometheus a little bit oh. in that regard. So, I don't know. Yeah, tran- transpermia is, is what that's called. Okay. Is the hypothesis that life exists throughout the universe distributed by space dust, meteorites, asteroids, comets, and planetoids, as well as spacecraft carrying unintended contamination by microorganisms. So they find human DNA in this thing, which is later why Bishop can't destroy it. No, that's because they merged them. They're doing experiments, combining it with human DNA. Oh, okay. There's a lot, a lot of the science in this is I very... thought they were looking for human DNA in it, because that's what they... They're talking in the original. That's what it's referring to the original material. Mm. Okay. So the material itself, this was another weird thing is like, just like the alien egg in the movie, like it's the queen left genetic material inside Bishop that forms an egg. Yeah. At least she bothers to try and give you an explanation in this. It yeah. fucks me off in the original script because it's just it's just there. It's done with. It's the, it's the same as the egg in, in the film. It's just there because apparently people are too stupid to just have a face hugger wandering around the ship. Yes, I'm referring to test audiences for Alien 3. We have you to blame for that. But yeah, I, I like that she bothered to at least try, as wishy-washy as it may be, as, as hard as it is to just accept sometimes, eh, it's Alien, at least there was some effort to say why, and I like that. Yeah. It isn't just that, though. I mean, I like, I actually really like the image of an egg growing out of Bishop's lower torso, but there's there's alien warriors on the ship as well. Yeah. This is, again, where the second draft is better, because... Takes that out. It's the commando who gets face-hugged and goes gets lost in the ship. He bursts the one normal alien that we then have throughout the story. I think the difference between the first draft and the second draft are fucking masterclasses in how to <laughs> develop your story. You know, I know a lot of... Um, I know this film is in a lot of school film lessons and you know is used as an example of the writing and development hell and stuff like that i think it was when i was in college doing film so yeah I, I, the difference between those two drafts is just it's, it's night and day for me to go from my least favorite incarnation and yes this includes good wards because i fucking hate wards to my favorite incarnation from the same writer, just two different drafts, I think is wonderful. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I don't like Vincent Ward's script either. And it's, I feel the best elements of Vincent Ward's ideas made it into the final film. You know, all the, the monastic stuff and the, you know, there's, there's just some of the symbolism is there, but yeah, uh, you'd have to really work to make that a good novel in my opinion. Tonally, that would have been all over the place for Alien as well. As I think it would have been as wild and completely un-Alien as Gibson's first draft is. Mm-hmm. I still haven't read Ward's script. I just never. 
No. Oh, there's a there's a wood grain alien, so it can blend in with the with the wooden paneling. Doesn't it have like the alien with the face on the sheep's back? Yes, it does. Her <laughs> nightmare though, isn't it? Oh, okay. She's having nightmares, isn't she? The waking nightmares throughout the film because of the chestburster. The film, the script, the chestburster inside her. If I remember rightly. Yes and no. There are, there are horrific images that are her, are her dreams, but there's also an alien is born out of a sheep and it has little tufts of fur. But not the face on the back of it. It's not, no, no, no. The no. face on the back is the dream thing. Yeah. Next to the second draft, my favorite's probably Toei's. I think that's the more restrained and reasonable <laughs> of the other scripts. That's the guy that did Pitch Black, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. I haven't read that one. I'll have to check it out. It's a prison space station. Hmm. So you some aspects of that as well in there. And, and speaking of Ward's thing, Mike Worrell's a concept yeah. art on the cover art. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I appreciate it not being their normal, terrible Colonial <laughs> Marines renders. And I appreciate the effort that they went to to go, this was an unproduced Alien 3 piece of artwork. Mm-hmm. But still, it's, it's Mike Worrell's art artwork it's it's not it's not william gibson's related but points for effort it's a good cover we can excuse it i think <laughs> that, that made me laugh when when the cover art came i was like yeah okay interesting choice of color too most of the alien books are dark and this one's like neon green green yellow so if you guys had to pick a favorite between this the audio drama or the comic audio drama yeah i'm gonna choose the yeah, the audio drama. Like you said, um, Johnny Christmas's art for when Wells explodes, I guess, or, or changes like a werewolf. That's an amazing sequence. But there are other points where the choices that he made or the choices that were dictated to him to make, they don't do any service to the to the project. And to have Lance Henriksen and Michael Bean come back to do the voices, mm-hmm. that was very, very cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my problem with the comic was I didn't think, uh, what was the name? Tamara? The, the colorist. It was the colorist that I didn't think was good in the comic because she went with such a bright palette that I was like, no. And I know, I know everybody's not trying to fix the script and just present it as is. So tonally, that would have been more in line with an actual alien film. Give me a, a, a color palette that would have been more in line with a, an alien film or an alien comic. But yeah, it's got it's got to be the audio drama. Having Michael Bean back, having Lance Hendrickson back. Dirk Maggs has been an absolute fucking godsend to the Alien franchise as far as I'm concerned lately. Those audio dramas, again, source material, issues with the source material aside, have been fantastic experiences that I've just really enjoyed. Hmm. Yeah, agreed. And hopefully that comes back. I'm I'm hoping for Alien 5 there too. Like I think that would be such such a good wow. fit if they got Sigourney Weaver and Michael Bean to do the audio drama for that. Well, they don't even need Sigourney Weaver. No, they got Laura oh, Lefkin. Right. Lefkin. And she did a fantastic job. Yeah. Oh, man. If they could get Sigourney Weaver, they should. But she <laughs> yes. did a fantastic job. Yeah. Well, I was kind of surprised they didn't tap her up for the the digital series because then um, that the recording was omitted in that, wasn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Alien Isolation. That's right. I forgot that existed. <laughs> Missed opportunity, that one was. Yep. But that's that said, even though I prefer the drama, I would still happily reread this again at some point. If I had to reread that original incarnation, I could I could quite easily do it through this because it was entertaining. Yeah. Adam, you said earlier as well, you know, the the stuff with Hicks and the ghosts. I, I love characters having PTSD in these things. I loathe, fucking loathe 
reused dialogue in sequels. But in the context of what she did in here, I absolutely loved it. The callbacks to the dialogue from Alien, the interaction with the characters from, you know, the, the squad in Aliens. I was like, this is working. This is how you do reuse dialogue. And this is how you traumatize one of your characters. And I absolutely loved what she did with him in this, in that regard. It works so well so well i like we were given a rundown on what his military history is you know conflicts that he's been in or whatever we're given a sister named zelda hicks which is kind of interesting random there's got to be something there there's got to be something there why zelda and then although a lot of the dialogue from the the dead marines um are, are callbacks you're right there are a few that are new and i felt that they were pretty much in the voice of the characters we get something new from vasquez and something new from a and so that's kind of cool too and, and i think we learned that Wierzbowski is a cheap drunk and yes. i'm always I'm always down for Wierzbowski knowledge so good lore <laughs> i don't think trevor steedman would have appreciated that though no <laughs> he, he could drink from what i i'd, I'd heard you know, I'm a huge Gibson fan as a novelist, but I don't like any of his scripts. I didn't like his X-Files episodes. I didn't like what he did with his own story with, with Johnny Mnemonic. It just, I don't think that script writing is his, is his strength. I just saw Johnny Mnemonic for the first time recently. That oh, was, wow. That was a wild one. I enjoyed it just for what it was. I haven't seen it in 20 years, so probably I should give it another try. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny when you think about it because of the comments that you got from David Garler and Walter Hill. We expected some crazy cyberpunk thing and in, that needed script working, but all we got was a competent script. Mm. So that, that's kind of funny that you don't like his script work when those guys were like, yeah, it was a competent script. Gibson said in an interview or somewhere that he, I think it was actually in the introduction to the comic, that he thought that they wanted him to kind of throw in some of his, you know, techno babble and that they could then, you know, keep and, and run with with a different script writer. So maybe, and there's not hardly anything in here. There's, I don't know, Bishop weirdly being able to override the security on the, the self-destruct by just listing other people's names until it said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Walter Hill and um, David Geiler, something I noticed in this, which I probably wouldn't have stuck out to me as much if it wasn't for that, the articles I've done on their Alien 2, mm. was when I got to it in here, and it was Bishop's sort of monologuing at the end of the, the book, the end of the script, where he's comparing the aliens to... He basically compare. He makes the comparison that the aliens are to life or antimatter is to matter. And I was like, wait a minute, that sounds fucking familiar. And that was something that they'd wrote in the treatment, the notes that they gave to James Cameron, failing too, you know, the, and some other bullshit happens uh, document. <laughs> I was like, ah, they gave you some notes as well. I was like, that's so David Garler. What the hell? One thing I did like about this was the sequences when they were exploring the uh, Sulaco. And it's the same with Colonial Marines, like even though that's a terrible game, like I liked exploring the Sulaco and seeing that scientists had gone in here and tried to see what had happened. And in this one as well, like everything's very hush hush after the events happen on Anchor Point. And I won't spoil it for you, Aaron, because you have yet to play it, but it very much reminded me of uh, one of my favorite parts of the video game Dead Space 2. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll not get to it for a long time, so I'll forget it. Okay, so the space ship in the first game is docked at the station in the second game and it's all been like explored with scientists and stuff everything's covered with like caution tape and protective sealant and stuff so it it very much that visual of the Sulaco being locked down in like a biohazard type fashion i think made for a really cool visual and so it, it was good to see those scenes in the book but you had to just make me realize, Christian, that, yeah, they could have just escaped on the Sulaco. So it's yeah. like, ah, <laughs> what? 
At least in the original script, that's the ship that's sent off, which is still silly to me. <laughs> it's still silly to me. Let's let's send off the girl on her own. In the Sulaco. <laughs> in the Sulaco with some alien genetic material. But why isn't Ripley, you know, if she's if she's in such bad shape, why not, you know, like like Parker says, why don't you freeze him? You know, put put Ripley on that ship too. I feel like the Yeah. Once once things are starting to go badly, the idea that Hicks can just waltz into the med bay, take her and put her in a uh, an escape pod and launch her, I just feel like there should be a lot more I wanted from this book a sense of if there's so many people on the station, show me how you're policing it. Show me how, you know, how are the people acting? This just feels like you're, you're simultaneously having a mortar go off and, you know, alien spores flying everywhere. And you have people that think that it's a drill. So it's just a weird, it's just a weird mix. Oh, well, five out of 10. <laughs> yeah. The, the sequence where he rushes her on the gurney to the escape pod and it's like the receptionist was ready for them. And I was like, this is just all happening very quickly and conveniently before the rest of the, the climax of the story happens. So, yeah, I do feel like this subsequent draft was better, but I feel like it maintained some of the same problems I had with this one just to a lesser degree. But again, I'm glad we got these stories, you know, the book, the audio drama, the comic. I think it was an excellent addition to the expanded universe to have these in multiple formats for people to experience. Mm -hmm. How can you say that if you hate it? Because... It goes back to what I've told you before, Aaron, where I feel like you can have multiple continuities and sometimes there you can do the Elseworlds tales, you know. But, but I mean, if you if you don't enjoy it, I suppose this might be more directed at Christian than you because you got the enjoyment out of it. But right. would you recommend this to other fans? Yes, but not as a first read. You know, if someone's coming to me and saying, hey, I like the movies. What's this expanded universe business? What should I read? This isn't what I'm going to hand them. Yeah. But you know, again, my friend that printed off the script for me back in 1996, I'd love to hand him this book and say, Hey, did you know they, they made it into a novel? And cause we had talked a lot about the different directions that things could have gone back then. So it's just kind of fun to revisit it. You would you describe this better as a curiosity for people who know what they're getting into? Yes, absolutely. I agree. It's also, I, I still feel like it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. That's why the Gibson part of it brings it down some, but she makes certain choices where I feel like Rossetti could have been fleshed out more. The UPP could have been fleshed out more. There would have been room for that. I, th- I would have, like the, you know how the Alien Isolation novel skimps on all of the actual Ugh. gameplay, right? <laughs> the same could have happened here. We could have skipped so many floors and corridors that they go down towards the end of the book and, and instead tell me more what's happening on Redina Station. Tell me, you know, get me inside someone else's head so I can see their point of view. That's why if, if you're, if you're going to take the Vincent Ward story and make something out of it, first of all, you have to give Ripley dialogue. She doesn't say a damn thing in that script. So someone's going to have to really work with that. But I would be willing to read that too. Yeah, the Redina station, how it just switches and everything's gone to hell there now. And mm-hmm. there's no like intermediate between they start experimenting on it and then we're back at that station and everything's gone to hell. And it's kind of jarring because we had that transition on Anchor Point And now on Redina, it's like, oh, everything's happened and we have one survivor here. So it just felt a bit too abrupt. And I would have liked to have seen that fleshed out a bit more. She was only working with what she was working with. So That's true. Yeah. And she made a lot of good choices. I don't mean to say that she yeah. didn't. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, the best being the ghost of Hicks pass in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, just to steer us aside from a minute, you guys have mentioned, you know, the UPP were introduced in the script and stuff like that. And I don't think a lot of people know, but they actually reappeared in infestation in mm-hmm. 11. Game Boy Advance, 10, right? 10, yeah. yeah. 
No, just before. not that old. Um, <laughs> DS. Oh. And and then to see them explode sort of back on the scene with the RPG, and then again, you know, big references in Fire Team, Fire Team Elite. Elite, and now they're of course going to be a focus, or seemingly a focus, in uh, the not the next book, but the book after Inferno's Fall should be interesting. Oh, oh yeah, I'm really glad to see other political entities and and cultures showing up in the alien um, expanded universe to flesh it out a bit more than a new evil corporation. Yep. I, I was always intrigued by it in the script as something entirely different. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. And it sets that up at the end of into Charybdis, you know, the political tensions rising and I'm sure colony war will, will take that further. So I'm very excited to, to see where that goes because those two books, cold forge and into Charybdis by Alex white were just so well received by the fandom. I thought, mm. so I'd love to see that tale kind of continue mm-hmm. either directly or indirectly. And in colony war, we get uh, the three world empire. So we get to see what my inept country is doing in the future. <laughs> Kind of an odd point here, Aaron. You said the Audible version is mysteriously (laughs) unavailable. Yes. Yes, it is. So for some reason, it hit the shops. It hit the e-store. I got it. Christian got it. Engineer on our boards got it. He's the moderator of um, Aliens Gateway. And I was about to get it, but I didn't see it. And I was like, Aaron, did did they not release an Audible for this? And that's when you told me that they had removed it. Turns out they pulled it because Chevy tried to get it as well. You know, if listeners of the podcast will know my my mate from Uproad, Chevy, who's, who's a big fan and has been on the podcast, and he was the one that told me because he'd messaged Audible support because he couldn't get this book, and they were like, oh, they must have pulled it from the shop, and that's, that's it. Do we know why? No idea. <laughs> Huh. Maybe Will Wheaton sued him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that that's a joke to Christian because when we were talking, I was like, "Doesn't the narrator remind you of Will Wheaton?" The one thing I, I thought the narrator, narrator was fine, except when he tried to do a dialogue from the, the flashback. Yes, yes, because he hadn't he hadn't rewatched them to get the cadence right. Yeah, at yeah. least that was the impression I got. They can bill me. <laughs> that's not how ripley said that line <laughs> so did you both listen to the audiobook for this one mm-hmm. when 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 it comes to rereading for podcasts i tend to listen to a bit in the car and then read a bit at work and then listen to it on the way back mm-hmm. it's a lot easier for me to get through them in in, in time that's a good way to do it yeah i need to i need to do that do it that way did you do no you, you didn't do your weird way of doing it yeah because you couldn't because you haven't got the I feel like the best way, and I've explained this to Aaron before, but I'll explain it to you, Christian. I really, I'm not the only one who does this because the functionality is built into the um, Kindle app is audible narration. So you speed up the narration and you're getting multiple sensory inputs when you read, right? Like you're getting it read to you and it's highlighting the text and it's going along. And so you can do that in a way where you get used to it when it's read faster. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you retain the information better and you don't have to go back and reread things again because it just sticks more in my yeah. perspective. So I've been reading books that way more frequently and I found it to be a good way to do it, but couldn't do it with this one. Had to just read it the old fashioned way. <laughs> How was it? Oh, it's good. You know, sometimes it's good to switch it up and just read it like that. You know, <laughs> That is kind of a weird way of doing it. I'll admit, but thing is, I like to be able to go back and reread a phrase. Yeah. It's like, it's like, wait, what? Wait, wait. And go back. Oh, okay. Yes. I did misunderstand that. It's Yeah. I'm glad to have them for the car, yeah. but that's it. That's the only reason I own the audios. I almost always speed them up, though, just a little bit, like 1.15 to 1.30, depending. With Intercaribdis, I really like the, the narrator, Shiromi. I think she does a really good job, so I don't speed her up. And now that I'm saying this out loud, I don't speed up Phalanx ever either. 
really like that one. But some of the ones that I'm, I'm more iffy on, I crank those up. <laughs> no, I, I actually quite like the narrator for this one. It did remind me of Will Wheaton, which I enjoyed because I enjoyed Will Wheaton's reading of The Martian. The Martian. Which I yeah. did not. <laughs> I know you didn't. That's okay, though. I, I thought he was so suited for that. Oh, yeah. I can't figure out if it's the fact that Will Wheaton is reading it or if it's that I don't like the character in the novel. But I felt like I was stuck at a party and Will Wheaton was telling me this adventure he'd had or this episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, Will, I get it. You know. And then you said a funny thing, didn't you? So on, on the holodeck, this happened. <laughs> mm. Fair enough. Any, any, any other points, then? This is super stupid, but Pat Cadigan gave us the name of a, a stout that was available at the bar. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I'm a maven for those little weird details like the Balaji cigarettes and, you know, that's Aspen beer. So now, now we've got a stout that we can drink. The bar was a cool setting, running reruns of the soccer games and stuff. That's from the script, but you just reminded me of something else. Look high. Mm. Pat Cadigan did completely different names and uh, yeah, details for the, the, the characters from this because Gibson would then go on to flesh those guys out a little bit in his second draft. Of course, mm. we get a lot more. I actually really like Look High's backstory and I really enjoyed reading her perspective bits in, in this book. Mm. I wasn't expecting it, to be honest. If anything, I thought she would have dipped into the second draft to pull in those names and some of those details and stuff like that. So when Pat Cadigan was fleshing out those bits, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I like I like you going down this alternate route and putting your own little stamp thing on it. I just really enjoyed the whole Lucky thing and um, well, the, yeah. the narration of Luck running out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it worked. And that's why I wanted to see a bit more on the Redina too, because I felt like the setup was really well done with her character. So I would have mm -hmm. liked to see more of the downfall of that station. And again, I get she's adapting Gibson's screenplay, but she did other additions. So I, I just felt like there was a bit more room for, for more additions. Well, it's, it's why I'm looking forward to seeing Colony War and seeing in, Inferno Fall and getting these other perspectives from other... It doesn't always have to be an evil corporation doing things, so... Come on then, lads. So, you would recommend this book despite having issues with the original draft? Yes, I would recommend this book over Infiltrator. Fuck Infiltrator. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't hate it as much as everybody else did, but yeah, it had shortcomings. That that book in Alien Isolation is the worst Titans ever done. I still haven't read Isolation. But Don't. Half of Isolation is fantastic. It's all the yeah. backstory that the guy was creating, you know, for both Amanda and for Ellen. But once you get to the stuff that's supposed to be, Amanda Ripley picks up a shotgun and kills an alien. Like, well, hold on. <laughs> what What is this? Yeah, Aaron and I are convinced that the, the video game-based novels are cursed to be mediocre at best, unfortunately. Yeah, even the Predator, even the Predator yeah. one as well, Stalking Shadows was bleh to me. Fucking... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we won't go off on that. <laughs> I really enjoyed this book. Yeah. Putting all my issues with the source material aside, I was really able to get into what Cadigan did and her voice while doing it and that stuff with Hicks especially was brilliant so if you can put aside some opinions on the source material I think you'll get a lot from the experience just go into it knowing it has problems they are not her fault they are not her problems but this is a curious what if could have been here it is don't judge me kind of um, <laughs> kind of story and I would very much love to see more I would rather see audio dramas 
of, of the scripts, but I would be quite happily see other novels as well. And, and I hope this sold well for Titan, and I hope it did well for Titan. Even even Eric Reds, give me the insane stuff. Although I think we're more likely to get Vincent Woods because I just think it's a higher profile part of Alien 3's history. I think it's more likely to make the sales. Everybody thinks of the wooden planet, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I agree. I'd, I'd recommend this. I feel like it's a really in, engaging read and Cadigan did a great job and I would love to see her come back as an author for another one. I do agree with you, Christian, that I don't think this is a good starting off point if you're just getting into the expanded universe. I do <laughs> think this is more catered towards the hardcore fans and it's a bit more niche, but we like that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I recommend it as well. And I'm really looking forward to the rest of the books this year. We've got a, a year full of books. It's going to be so fun. And only some AVP ones again. I know. Yeah. We're in the minority on that, but it's just, it feels like it's been so, well, okay, Thicker Than Blood was the last big one, but there hadn't been many before that, I don't think. I know. There's, there's not as much AVP material. Yeah. Not these days. Although you still haven't read the Rage War, have you? So you've got some I haven't material read, there. So I got all that. I still need to get to. I still, I do not know how you can cope with having these books on your shelf and not <laughs> ripping into them straight away. I need, to, I need to tear through all the ones I haven't. There's still some good ones that I haven't. Well, I think, I think this year we'll start the Rage War at the end of the. Um, you know how we do the annual. And that'll force me to do it. And honestly, I want to go back through all the old Dark Horse Omnibus books and read through those as well. Because I remember there was one summer I just burned through mm. all of them. To be fair, the Marvel's original years Are have really been good. good. Yeah. At least the first Second one is. one should be shipping, I think, here now. It's already out for you. Well, it's out worldwide, but whether your country has received it or not, talk to everybody else here, is 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 a question. Like they've not arrived on the UK shores yet, so I can't get volume two. Hmm. But it but it's out. So uh, I've actually I enjoyed reading through that because you know the the Dark Horse Omnibus is a you know a yeah. five sort of size. They're small, yeah. Yeah. So to have them, the Marvel ones are like tomes. They're big. Yeah. Paper's a little thin, but the binding seems okay. So it's actually been the the other week I sat down and I read Hive and I read Newt's Tale. And there was something just some random ass stories that I hadn't read for a little while. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it, come on. And it was nice. I, so I do I do like what they've done with the original years. Issues with the swipe to artwork on the mass market issue aside and the Roko's art on the main set. These <laughs> these ones have been nice. Wasn't it a Mark Nelson on the, the other hardcover? Yes, instead right, of, Mark yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I got. Um, oh, actually, I don't think I've ever shown this one off. For those of you listening, Aaron is reaching back to his <laughs> comics and books. <laughs> so, the direct market was this lovely Mark Nelson cover and I have signed copy. Oh, Mark Verhayden, not the um, not Mark Nelson, that I forgot I owned until I found it um, a couple of years when we did our interview with Verhayden, Adam. Yeah, I remember. Aaron, if you look closely, it says to Christian from Mark Verhayden. <laughs> you wish. I'll, I'll give you my address and you just. You fucking wish. You know, Aaron, on the uh, the interior of the sleeve for the big Marvel omnibus, there's some some artwork on the hardcover as well. That looks quite nice. I can't remember the artist's name on this it's one. Bolton. It's John Bolton's. Um, right. And what comic is that from? Female. Oh, yeah, yeah. Earth Hive was its original Earth name. Or Earth War. Earth War. 
Earth War was its original name, and then it was Female War. Earth Hive was um, book, one. book one. Got renamed to in novel form, but it was called Outbreak in Republishers of Comic Book. Fucking, it's it, some of the name. Yeah, the naming of the re. Publishing's ridiculous. Like, I still can't get over they renamed Berserker Frenzy in the omni- in the omnibus they did. I've, I've never ever called it Frenzy and never will call it Frenzy. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we're off on our tangents. Let's <laughs> <laughs> So this is a pretty good book. Pretty good. <laughs> I think it's a little more entertaining than pretty good, but your mileage may your mileage will vary depending on how much the uh, the source material pisses you off. Do we know why it came out in hardcover? No fucking idea. I I assume, and this is just me assuming, they thought it'd sell well, so hardcovers mm. cost more. Yeah, because that is entirely the um, well, they never confirmed it, but it is one hundred percent what Dark Horse did when they couldn't, um, they didn't have the time to publish their last series in singles because mm. of all the issues with the printers opening back up. So what they did was they went for publishing the singles of Alien, the original screenplay, because William Gibson sold so well. Ah. Uh. William Gibson's sold like nearly three times, I think, from memory, as much as a normal Alien series would. The comic. The comic, yeah. Although Marvel's is selling fantastically compared to that. Marvel's got that reach. They mm-hmm. do. Although I haven't seen how seven and eight have sold yet. I need to look into that, actually. Because it, it, it was diminishing quite a lot. Yeah, sorry, we're, we're, not, we're not great on the Marvel <laughs> series. <laughs> oh. But to, to be fair, I do enjoy a lot of the narrative. I know you guys didn't. Anyway, we're not ending on downers. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Pretty good book. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good. Yeah. We all have different scores, but we'll all call it pretty good at least. Yep. Well, thank you guys for letting me come on here and talk about it. Yeah, thanks no for coming. Worries. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being um, a higher level nerd like us. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Is there any places you want to get people to look? I, I don't. I don't think you really have Twitter, do you, or anything? though? Not for not for this kind of stuff. You can hear me sometimes on uh, Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, and uh, I'm I'm somewhat active on on various Facebook alien groups. You share all your costume and stuff on Building Better Worlds as well, don't you? When I share it. I'm not good at it. But hey, AliensLegacy.com, you know, you can see stuff there. I'm RetroGuard there. there. I do have a fancy handle. It just isn't for AVP Galaxy. RetroGuard, that's that's a pretty good one. Yeah. yeah. Do you still have the bike avatar? Do I have the what? The bike avatar. It was you with the... the oh, oh, the big the, wheel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a, It's a photograph of me from when I was a kid on a big wheel, but I photoshopped it to have the wheel Yutani tag on the front and I, <laughs> and I put the, the APC behind me. So yeah. I remember that. I've not been on Legacy for a little while. I can never remember my password. And I always, I always seem to, the password forgotten emails always seem to go in my junk or never show up. So every now and again, I, I'll get around to resetting it and spend ages reading through everything and then forget it. Right. I'm a fucker for that. <laughs> but yes, anyway, everybody, thank you for listening or watching. Please do leave us reviews on wherever you are doing the aforementioned listening or watching. You know, the comments help us on YouTube algorithms. The reviews help us on iTunes and all those other bullshit algorithms as well. It just helps us be more visible. If you like what we're doing, that stuff helps us get seen by, you know, other fans. And uh, helps them enjoy our very colourful commentary as well. Spread the love, guys. Spread the love. Hoping for a good year. Hoping for a good year. I've got some plans for um, some interviews and some other episodes and stuff like that. I know I was shit last year, but I'm going to try and do a good job this year. We're all just doing the best we can in these recent years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't excuse it. I set a standard for myself the years before that I didn't meet last year. But I've got an interview, not booked in yet, but he has said yes, for the writer of some of 
the expanded universe is more notable parts and um one of adam and i's favorite avp titles that should be out in feb once mm. i get it booked in i'm looking forward to that one i'm looking forward to the prep for that one where i get the excuse of going back and rereading a load of cool comics <laughs> but yeah ho- hopefully it's going to be a good year hopefully this has been an entertaining start to the year for you guys and girls and we'll see you around this has been corporal hicks ridge top and christian signing off